Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker once again. Coming to you from the studio deep beneath world headquarters here in Kansas City. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi for Me. And we are live on Odyssey, Facebook, YouTube, at least for now. Assuming that the algorithms and the machine learning decide to play nice. Live chat's open. Comments are available. If you want to send us feedback by email, it's live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And we are available, uh, this show, on a number of podcast platforms. If you prefer to consume that way. Uh, so, uh, so there's all of that. And the music that you hear is the main title theme to the Apology Dance, a romantic comedy movie that I made <laughs> a number of years ago. And that music, written by our guest today, David Luxton, joins us. And I'm going to I'm going to turn that down uh, a little bit there. How are you, David? How are you How are you Hi. doing? It's good to see you. I'm doing great, Jason. Thank <laughs> you. I haven't heard that piece of music in a long time. That's I know. Some of my right? older stick work a blast from the past well yeah. and i remember having conversations with you about it and and, and it was like okay well it it needs to feel because the original short film had something similar as their title sequence I was like well there's this and and kind of kind of in that same vein and i gotta say uh that particular time you knocked it out of the park it was one of those things was just like yep that's exactly it we don't need to change anything i'm happy and and you've also contributed music to our adaptation of the statement of Randolph Carter. Yes. So, and that one is still kind of hanging out there, uh, waiting to be discovered by the public. But in the meantime, you've been relatively busy. Let's uh, let's go through here, because I want to I want to set the table here on on who you are, because we've known each other for a while. You're an associate professor, affiliate associate professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine in Seattle. Is that this is all still current? Chief yeah. Science Officer at NowMattersNow.org, and you have uh, you've served in the military. Thank you for that. And uh, let's see, for, uh, previously a research health scientist at the Naval Health Research Center in San Diego. Uh, you are a principal investigator for the Department of Defense Millennium Cohort Study. At some point, we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But you're also a research psychologist, and as we've already uh, introduced the notion here, you're a composer, musician as well. So you're wear, you wear a lot of different hats. Yes. What hat are you wearing currently in all of this? <laughs> I'm wearing multiple hats, like usual. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been really working a lot on my artistry, and that's primarily music and writing. So I've I've written a few novels. Well, I've written two novels in the last couple of years, working on the third right now, and uh, which I'm hoping we'll, we'll be able to talk about because I think your audience will find them super interesting and, and super relevant to yep. the times we're in today. Uh, so I do a lot of writing, and I run a little record label called Wayfarer Records, which I've had for maybe 12 years or so now, and um, got a handful of artists on the label. We do a lot of ambient music space ambient uh, instrumental stuff some vocal stuff as well and i'm um, very excited about the label it has a lot of energy um, going with it and uh, we're, we're expanding it and doing a lot of cool stuff with it and uh, i also started my own podcast recently called the sonic wayfarer podcast where i interview other musicians ambient musicians uh, from around the country and world and that, that actually premieres today at 5 p.m so oh okay well uh, we'll have to get a link and we'll put it into our notes Sure. So when you say ambient music, uh, that's that's a term some people might not be familiar with. And so let's let's kind of define that a little bit for those who don't know. Am, ambient music is is different from just regular music. How? Well, I believe the term was coined or first used in the context of music from Brian Eno. It was probably back in the, the 70s. And the idea is that music can be something that's kind of in, in the, the room, the ambiance of, of a space. So it's not up front where all your attention is on it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's ambient. It's, it's in the space that you're in and it's part of it. That is the, the, the true definition of it. However, the style of ambient music really covers 
a, a breadth of styles of music and some of the music isn't exactly stuff that's you know behind you know in, in the environment it's, it's more in your face kind of stuff that's technically ambient nowadays right. space ambient just adds a lot of um, atmospheric tones and things uh, to the sound and a lot of it will use traditional like analog synthesizers and digital synthesizers to, to create the sounds but ambient is a a long-standing style of music and it is it's grown enormously really since the the 70s and there's a history of it before the 70s too of some composers that um, were doing that style back in the probably the 40s and 50s and, and definitely the 60s so uh so sci-fi snob uh, offers up uh, uh, an alternative definition here music composed while on the drug Ambien. I, I don't know that that's exactly the case, is it? <laughs> well, Ambien music is great for helping people to fall asleep. That is true. Well, and and the, it's interesting. I mean, Stom makes the joke, but you talk about, because uh, one of your specialties being in mental health, uh, ambient music, I know there are people out there who will have uh, some kind of music or a sound effect, you know, water running, uh, a river type of thing. Uh, to help them go to sleep, to help them calm down. I'm sure it's kind of a, a meditative thing. But when you when you look at various different media as a tool for mental health, what are what are some of the things that you've come across in your research and all of the different things that you've done in that in that sandbox, if you will? Because given everything that's going on right now, there are a lot of people that are under a great deal of stress, uh, unusually high compared to what they might be used to prior to 2020. So, you know, with the caveat that we're not offering exact psychological medical advice, this is just talking just uh, in, in the show here. What kind of what kind of techniques are available for people to help deal with everything that's been going on? Yeah, well, well, definitely the pandemic has really emphasized the need for technologies that support, you know, contactless, you know, intervention. So you're not actually in an office with someone going in, so you can you can receive treatment or interventions or support from home. And one of the primary ones, is, of course, is telehealth, which is really a, a legacy concept. It's been around for a long time, telehealth. But now with the advent of really at-home video conferencing like we're using today, this technology is, is so uh, ubiquitous now right. that it's allowed people to get treatments or see physicians, see psychologists, counselors, uh, and other support people just from home. And so that's, I'd say, probably the, the biggest one that has really... Um, like everyone's doing. If you're not doing telehealth now, there's probably something wrong. So uh, other big ones are things like mobile apps in mobile technology, and that's using your your mobile device, your smartphone to have apps that do uh, numerous things that support health and well-being. And then there's the other stuff that I'm very into as a researcher and that I also work in some development of, and that's the AI-related things. Um, things such as virtual care providers. So these are artificially intelligent. They don't have to be that sophisticated, but some are more sophisticated than others. But virtual care providers, like chatbots and uh, intelligent virtual agents is a technical term for them, right. where people can basically see a an AI ent entity, if you will. It can look like a person. It can look like a, a rabbit. Uh, and they can receive some level of therapy intervention support from it and so my interest is in the ethics of doing that and the practicality of it because there's some obvious you know ethics issues related to that sure so so basically what i'm hearing is the 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 prototype model for something like baymax or or something you know where where you have the the robot that comes in and says i think you are stressed you need a vacation <laughs> you know something like that or yeah, exactly. is it is it deeper than that? It, because, you know, we hear a lot about AI, artificial intelligence, n not just in the science fiction sphere anymore. It's out there now. And we hear a lot about machine learning and algorithms and that kind of thing. But it's usually in the context of a negative uh, YouTube and, and Facebook uh, uh, are 
always coming under fire for the various algorithms that they use. Businesses complain about Facebook suppressing their posts in, in order to get them to pay to boost things. You've got YouTube using algorithms to uh, suppress certain channels in, in, in certain topics uh, in favor of other channels that are maybe a little bit more, let's say, mainstream media, for example, versus alternative media. And it's it's one of those things where I, I see, on one level, it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out. A, a soci- a, a artificial intelligence and machine learning, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding this, but it's only as good as the way it's programmed to begin with. I mean, yes, it can learn, but it's learning based on the bias of whoever programmed it, right? Mm. Yes. Uh, I write about this all the time, Jason. In fact, I was just writing a book chapter about the use of technology during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is one of the sections of the chapters on this very topic. And there's a thing called algorithmic bias. And that is where the the biases are basically written into the the code. And it can be, uh, the bias can come in because of the people developing the system. If they have some some bias or or they're leaving out some data from say, maybe a subpopulation. And so that data, that information doesn't get into the programming, so it doesn't effectively address or biases some kind of performance of, of the machine. Uh, another issue that can happen is, as you mentioned, with machine learning. So the system is learning on its own. So based on the inputs or could be other environmental factors, the system is going to learn something a certain way that may have some bias built into it that it actually creates by itself. And one of the issues around that is something I've written a lot about is called the, the black box problem. And that's where we have an AI system that's using algorithms that may be creating its own, but we don't necessarily understand as humans how it's working and how it's doing that and how it's deriving its decisions, which obviously is a, is a theme in a lot of science fiction films, isn't yeah. it? The well, issue of not, you know, the machine, you know, how, how and going off out into space, what is this machine going to do? <laughs> well, and I've made the joke a number of times that at some point, Facebook, uh, Google will buy Facebook, and then the Google algorithms and the and the artificial intelligence will read all of everyone's Facebook posts and disca- decide, okay, this is where we push the button and wipe off, you know, all of humanity. That's when Skynet will be born. But and and you're right, it does show up in in science fiction a lot, in especially in dystopian fiction. But you also have those things like Battlestar Galactic, for instance, where the Cylons are a creation of humanity, uh, at least in the reboot version. And you, you program these things and you say, okay, this is, this is the limit. You know, you have, you know, uh, the three laws of robotics that people seem to think don't really apply anymore because we see a lot of these stories where robots are doing things that they probably shouldn't be able to do. But the, the, the leaning toward bias, the algorithms that uh, have radicalized certain people on one side or the other of an argument, where Facebook gets into this feedback loop of sorts where you clicked on this, you interacted with this, so we're going to show you more of this. You liked this, you commented, you shared it, you, you know, something like that, so we're going to show you more, as opposed to, I would think showing you maybe the opposite or not necessarily the opposite, but something that's kind of to, to counterbalance it. And we don't see that happening. And you talk about, you know, machine learning kind of developing its own bias based on what's there and you don't understand how it happens. That, that makes me think of this, of this thing that happened here not too long ago. They had an AI write a Batman script after watching a thousand hours of footage in, in, and, Somebody actually took the script and made a comic book out of it, and it absolutely makes no sense at all. I'm Batman. My parents are still dead. You know, he throws he throws Alfred at the Joker, and the fish explodes. I mean, it's it's all it's all this nonsense garbage. Uh, and and we just had here not too long ago. There was another another one. The Google AI wrote a Stargate episode, and it's not quite there what you would expect to see on the show either aren't those examples of how ai gets it wrong and is that a foundation for us to sit there and say we should not be trusting 
machine learning as much as we do? How much of a problem is it actually that we've that we're so dependent on these algorithms? Well, I think it's an incredibly serious problem, and your examples are perfect. Even just the one on social media, like with Facebook and so forth, where it has algorithms in there that's that's engineering what you see, and then what you see, and you see more of that with the exclusion of other information that creates your reality. In fact, my latest novel, The Goldilocks Zone, is about that. It's about the issue of of media and your ability to, well, partly about the media. But it's about your ability to make sense of your world based on the information you're presented with and what you experience. And then how do you see reality and how you see that reality has such a huge impact, obviously, on your life and, the, and society. And so the power that these algorithms have and these, frankly, the companies have in using that technology is serious business. And one of the things in the ethics literature, something I've, I've written a lot about is the need for some kind of you know human um intervention in the process so there needs to be some kind of you know oversight um, checks and balances an audit trail of how a system is making decisions so that we can understand it before we deploy the system would be be useful but also while the system is operating and then after the fact that we can understand otherwise it's a black box yeah but then you're also you're relying on the bias or absence of bias hopefully an absence of bias from the people who are supposed to be reviewing it so right. it's, I mean, it's not a perfect system. So maybe we just decide we're not going to use artificial intelligence at all anymore. <laughs> That'd be the easiest thing, right? I, I predict that as we move forward into the future, that there'll be parts of the world, uh, communities that really do unplug from it. And quite frankly, it's probably pretty healthy <laughs> to just unplug from, we're using social media right now. I get it. Yeah. But we, we know, and, and more recently, a lot of more is coming out in the literature and in the popular media about the the dangers of social media, particularly for, for young people, children. And, and I do a lot of suicide prevention work. And there's been a, for a long time, we've been talking about the issue of social media and suicide risk, particularly among younger people and, and younger girls, yeah. because, well, they use a lot of social media and the, the impact of the content, the, the potential for cyberbullying and those things is pretty serious. And so I think there's definitely cons of using technology and technology that we, we don't have some control or intervention over is a serious issue. Well, you've got the information that just came out from the Facebook whistleblower, uh, and I use that term loosely given given what seems to be an agenda there. But, you know, the what we found out that, that Instagram specifically uh, has done harm, whether inadvertent or deliberate, is, is, you know, depends on which side of the aisle you sit on, I guess. But especially with young teenage girls, body image problems, you know, the, like you're talking about, the mental health issues that come from, you know, this this thing in your hand that's telling you that you're not good enough. And I, I wonder if we've, I don't, I don't want to say we've done it to ourselves, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Jean Twenge. She's done a number of, of research uh, projects about this, what she calls the iGen, uh, mm-hmm. the, the, this generation of people, and I guess we're second or third into it now, that are so wired into their devices. And, you know, it's, everything's at, the, at, the, at your fingertips in terms of what kind of information you can access and, and it's instant gratification. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Feed, feed me this information. I don't want to have to work for it. And the brain is wired differently, as I understand, because now you're you're so integrated into that process of your smartphone, you know, YouTube or Facebook or whatever, and the you know the dopamine and the serotonin and all this. Oh, I got a like, and and it becomes addictive. And we hear that Facebook knows that it becomes addictive and they're relying on that to a certain extent. But, you know, for the whistleblower to come out and do all of this other stuff, a lot of people are suspicious that it's a it's a tactic to engage in more censorship. And the algorithms that we see on Facebook and YouTube, we've seen a lot of that already where, you know, it, it, COVID, COVID-19 misinformation or, or the election stuff or, 
you know, take your pick. But uh, over on YouTube, the, the, the copyright algorithms are, are jacked up. You know, we get claims on music that we have a license for. You get people false flagging and brigading and review bombing. And, you know, we see what happened with Rotten Tomatoes. I just don't. Let me ask it this way. Is there a benefit in any way, shape, or form to using some kind of artificial intelligence or machine learning? Because everything I hear about it says this is a bad road to go down. Yeah, I think like with any technology, there's the pros and cons of that technology. And we have to be smart as humans and as the creators of that technology to to guide its use in a way that I think is ethical and moral and that it doesn't cause harm to people. You mentioned Isaac Asimov's three, there's actually four laws, um, you know, as some kind of guidance of, you know, what machines should be built to not do or, or to do. Right? right. And so most definitely, and I want to share some of you, this is a novel I wrote that was published last year. It's called behind the machine. I'm hoping we can talk about this today because sure. it's, it's so relevant to all this. But it's really about technology. It's set in the future in 2034. And I want to share what happened here. So this book has a theme about big tech oligarchs. And it has a climate change uh, theme. It's part of, part of its plot. Okay, And so I would post this on a very popular social media site that it was coming out. I tried to run a little ad for it. And they blocked me. Hmm. Now, I don't know if it was because of... An algorithm that's kind of you know reading the keywords of things like the word climate or so forth, or if there was a person doing it. But I had to appeal several times so that I could, as a as an independent writer, to publish that if, just to mention that I published a book about these topics. And there's nothing really political about it. It's it's about ethics and morals and technology. It's not a political affiliated thing by any <laughs> means. And I tell you, it really really made me angry. Yeah. that they would do that. Well, and and you mentioned, you know, talking about ethics and stuff. I I would assume that you were around uh when all of that came up during the Gamergate years and and yes. how that got co-opted into being something that it wasn't. And a lot of people in hindsight they look back and you've got a lot of revisionist history going on and you know the same kind of thing with the Hugo Awards, the same kind of thing with anything. You've got all this gaslighting that's going on. We're saying, well, no, that thing wasn't actually the thing you think it was. It was actually this other thing. And machine learning could possibly accelerate that, exacerbate that, because, you know, it's like in 1984, we're going to change, we're going to rewrite history, and you send this thing out, and it blasts out and changes everything everywhere. I, I, I could see a time where we sit there and some algorithm gets programmed to change all of the different articles out there with regard to, say, climate change, mm -hmm. to turn them all into doom and gloom things that you can then cite and say, well, look, this article says this, and this article says this, and there ought to be a law. And, and it just seems like this could be so easy to sabotage and use for ill-gotten gains purposes. let's say nefarious purposes i like that too yeah but it, I mean, it's it's skynet yeah and i think it's author k dix you know it's it's the um the minority report stuff right yeah pre-crime like pre-crime pre and then retrospective guilt too and we're seeing that now so yeah. if anything you've done on social media that you did 10 years ago can now be used against you in society, right? So well, and but, and it makes me wonder because a lot of people are like, who has time to go digging through ten years of tweets just to find that machines one? Machines do. Machines the do. Machines got the time. Yeah. The AI, machine learning, absolutely. And the thing is, as I said before, I mean, there's pros and cons to the technology, right? I'll give an example. A pro of using machine learning to to scan through, let's say, banking trans transactions. Okay. Okay. So okay. machine learning can be used to identify crime like cybercrime and, and theft done in the banking system. And there's actually some really interesting studies on this and, and how, how it kind of works, how they can detect it, because they can detect humans trying to, trying to cheat. <laughs> and they can also detect, you know, just in the transactions themselves, something suspicious, right? right? So they can use machine learning to do these things. But the obvious flip side of that is, well, now, now they're eavesdropping on everything you purchase and everything you do financially so that you're losing your privacy. So now we've lost our privacy. 
I want to go buy something for a, a loved one, you know, I, I, no one else needs to know that. Right. If I want, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so uh, I find it quite offensive that they would use the technology against the everyday people and then hide it from us. Well, you have things like uh, one one of the things that I noticed early on when we were using uh, Gmail for a while before we'd set up our own server is, you know, when we were talking about building out our site, our dot com, and we were figuring out, OK, well, who's going to host it? Because it was on WordPress. They got too big for WordPress. Now we've got to move it. Well, we were looking at a number of different hosting sites and I, you know, we'd send a bunch of emails back and forth about HostGator being a, a possible thing. And then suddenly I start seeing ads everywhere for HostGator. And I'm like, Google's reading my email. Yep. And people don't stop and think about this stuff. And then I hear this thing the other day about QR codes. And now there are people who are discouraging don't scan a QR code because basically what you're doing is you're basically giving whoever's whoever owns that QR code, you're giving them a backdoor access into everything that's on your phone, depending on what that QR code does. Yeah, it could take you to this website, but it also starts tracking your purchases, where you go, where you visit, your location, all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, this is scary stuff. Yeah, you know, I was thinking just just this week, Jason. Like when you and I were, were kids, we, we'd watch TV shows, you know, movies, whatever, Star Trek, yep. Star Wars, yep. uh, all kinds of stuff. Because I, I love sci-fi when I was a kid, and I still do. And all that stuff was like, well, it's sometime in the future, right? And they'd have some date, you know, be in the future. But the reality is, we're in it, yeah. Jason. This isn't just stuff that's just emerging. It's like it's already here. Yeah, they're already doing these things. They're already eavesdropping on your stuff. They can, and they have been, and it's. And don't take my word for it. Just research it. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, the, your cell phone, using your cell phone to text people. You think that's really private? Yeah. You think that the the content on your phone is really private? You're, as you said, that the email is a great example of that. It's not private. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at something like, um, oh, the blow up uh, that uh, par when Parler got got obliterated online because Amazon Web Services was providing their their hosting service and Amazon said, "Well, we don't like what you're doing. We don't like what you stand for. We're going to obliterate your your site." That has a very chilling effect on anybody who really wants to do anything if it's not cuz I mean, you, you we talk about the cancel culture a lot in this in all of this. And, you know, going back and finding that that one offensive tweet or that one article that proves you're a you're a Nazi racist type of thing. And I, I have to I have to admit there are days I, I look at Mrs. Boss and I say, Mandy, it's, it's time to get the cabin in the woods and just completely disconnect and turn off, turn off the smartphones, go back to the go back to the flip phones that are not smart. And dump the computer, internet, and, and everything else and just get completely off the grid. But even then, I don't think we'd get completely away from it. Yeah. So, Jason, this, this book, Behind the Machine, that's part of it. I need to the, read that. The, yeah. It's part of what happens in here. So I have my, my protagonist. She's a young woman, single mom. And her dad is just like that. And he's, he's probably like our age, but, you know, 10, 12 years from now, right? And so he does, he does that. He's a bit older generation. So he knew the time before all this stuff, before smartphones. And what happens in this, this novel is now she is dealing with a, a pretty serious problem or, or an issue she discovers, a conspiracy, shall we say, mm. a very nefarious one. And she has to deal with all these issues with the technology. Like, how can she even be a whistleblower when everything's monitored? She's got in her, in her apartment, which was furnished by her company because you can't buy anything. Everything's you have to rent everything from the government or from a private corporation. And there's, you know, sensors in her apartment, you know, they're convenient, right? She can just say, turn the lights on, turn the shower, you know, turn warmer water, whatever. Right. Yeah. But it's also listening and it knows your patterns. So she has to outsmart that. And then this, the, the mobile phone thing, she has to outsmart that because it's tracking her in any kind of GPS type of stuff. Like she can't, she can't even meet with friends and colleagues outside of work without them knowing. No. So the novel is really about that. And I spent a couple of years thinking through this, like it's so difficult to write because yeah. it's like, well, how does she outsmart all these things that we have now, but 10 years from now, when it's even more pervasive, how does she outsmart that to do what is right and ethical and moral for humanity? 
And that's what the novel's about. Well, you look at what's going on in Australia, for example. They've got that app, I think, in New, it's either in New South Wales or Victoria, uh, where they're basically saying, okay, everybody has to stay in your homes. You can't go, you can't go more than 15 blocks away from your house or wh- whatever the distance is. And we're going to track your phone with GPS. And we're going to send you a text at random to check on where you are. And you have to respond within 15 minutes with a selfie that has the, geo, uh, the, the GPS timestamp on it to prove you are where you are. Otherwise, we're going to be sending police after you because you're not where you're supposed to be during lockdown. That's that's scary stuff. That's that's 1984. I mean, I say I, it's Orwellian. Absolutely. When, when some of these new smart TVs started coming out and they've got cameras in them, I'm like, not in my house. No, absolutely not. Where you know, I know I know we're already you know monitored anyway. And Minnie makes the joke that every now and again she'll say hi to her her personal FBI agent, but it's not that far from the truth, really. When you th- stop and think about it, because how, how I mean, we know that the NSA is capturing everything that we that we do. I don't know. I, a, how do you get away? Just, you don't get away from it. it. Yeah, uh, well, we're already in it. MS in the in the chat. It's ridiculous that a person or a bot, which would be a human's minion, would block your book. And uh, also, most journalism today is just gaslighting. I I would say that's. 90 95 percent but uh but ms also makes a, a good point nothing is absent of bias it's a question of exposing us to multiple bias and critis- critically parsing it so that's the other part of this is learning to recognize the bias which is really hard to do given that the government schools government indoctrination centers are t- sending there saying when well, you know government is your friend and, you know, whatever, whatever is being taught in the classrooms. But, you know, through, through the last few months, parents are actually starting to wake up to the fact that things are being taught in schools that probably shouldn't ought to be taught. And there's a reaction to that. There's a, there's a pushback to some of this stuff. Do you think there would be a possibility at some point that the humans rise up against the machine learning and say... This is this is a bridge too far. This needs to be scaled back. Can we put the genie back in the bottle at this point? I think we can. It's it is kind of the plot of and it's one of the most famous movies of all time about this is the Terminator movies, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. And so, as you mentioned, Skynet, right? Um, I think so, and I think I think we can use the technology and leverage it. We we need to move forward with technology as humanity has has always done, and for for better or for worse, in some cases. But we can use technology for good, for good, right? Right. Uh, so that's why these debates have to happen. We have to be able to discuss it freely, and we have to listen to different opinions about it. You know, and I, I spent a lot of time meditating about this very issue, Jason. And I was thinking about it again this morning. It's like, well, let me give you to start with an example. So, let's say, you know, is there a time when, when doing something that is biased, beneficial longer term for humanity? Okay, and I think we can think of a lot of examples of that going on now. All right. And so that that is a perception of, well, what is good? So does does the end justify the means, basically, right? Right. Another perspective is, well, why do it that way? Let's just be transparent. Let's have a common ground that we stand on, our, our rules of engagement, such as like the US Constitution, for example, uh, here in the United States. And we, we do things that way and we, we debate and we allow people some some liberty to, to pursue happiness the way that they choose to, to pursue it. OK, and so that is a it's a tricky one. And I don't think there really is. I think there people have answers, you know, and I have my own perspectives on it, but I don't think it's so easy, you know, and there's a reason why they call ethical dilemmas ethical dilemmas is because there isn't necessarily a right or wrong. There's, there's right. which, which of two or more options is the better one. And then how do you know, how do you define what's better, right? Better for me, better for you, better for society, better for the more, the majority, better for a suppressed minority. I mean, what, what is the better, right? Yeah. These have been debated for a millennia, these, these, these topics, you know, ethics. And so um, the ethics, whatever, right. But we need to continue to have these debates without without it being used against people and without harming people, because technology today is being used to harm people. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's 
probably more prevalent than than most people realize just how much harm is being done and at the risk of sounding like a cynic because you know <clears throat> far from far far be it for me to sound like a cynic i think it's being done deliberately i think that a lot of this harm is being done uh, as part of a deliberate uh, effort to not necessarily indoctrinate people, but but normalize behavior that we might otherwise sit there and go, why are you doing that? That's not normal. You know, we're trying is trying. It's we're becoming numb to the outrageous things in society. So, oh well, that's just that. That's this. That's just normal. We give it a pass because well, it's just fringe behavior, and not it. Not everybody thinks like that. And eventually it becomes, well, now everybody thinks like that. And now I'm sitting there thinking, well, hang, hang on. Now, why am I the outsider? Because I don't, I don't think this is normal. But you get othered anytime you speak up against something that you know, this, this very minute percentage of the population wants to say is normal. Yeah. And, you know, isn't it interesting, Jason, as a fan of science fiction, how that's a theme in so many science fiction novels and films, right? I'll give you two, two of my favorite examples. It's THX 1138 yes. and Logan's Run, two of my favorite films of all time. And in both of those, you've got a protagonist who is like, wait a minute, this ain't right. Yep. <laughs> They're going to break out of it, right? And that's what those films are about. And we it, that describes really what you're, just, you're saying is that there's, many people are awake to like, wait, something not right about this. And there is, I've been doing some writing about the slippery slope issue. And for your listeners, I think it's pretty intuitive what the slippery slope is. It's like, well, you start doing one thing and then it opens the gateway for more of it and more severe of it. Little flip side of that as well. Is that a fallacy though? Is it, does it really mean it's going to get worse? So vaccine mandate is a great one, right? So, okay, they're going to, they've mandated vaccines for, you have to have it for employment or travel or whatever. Um, but does that mean now that they can do that with other medical things? I mean, why not? Sure. If they're doing it for that, what about other the, the next disease that comes along or something else, right? So that's the slippery slope. Or genetic uh, genetic conditions. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, maybe you have a propensity for uh, high blood pressure or diabetes or whatever else, and and now you're you're part of the unclean. You're not allowed to go anywhere. You know, you become pariahs. And we're already seeing this in in China where they're using social media status. Uh, to determine what privileges you have. Can you travel? Can you get on a plane? Can you go from state to state? Can you buy certain things? Can you go to certain businesses and, and, and patronize certain, you know, go to the theater or anything like this? And, you know, you've got now these QR codes, these little scans, your proof of vaccination. Well, what else can they do with that? A lot. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm terrified of it, but it it's interesting, though, right? So you have this idea of, okay, what's what's good for the public health? Is that better? Like what I was saying before, you know, is the longer term, the objective, the the end justify means of doing something versus what about your your freedoms, your your, cho your choice in what chemicals get put in your body or what medical procedures you, you are to have mm -hmm. and your, your rights to autonomy, which is a central ethics uh, principle. And it's certainly principle it has been or it should be in healthcare. You know, it's certainly in, in my field as a licensed clinical psychologist, like I'm not going to force interventions on people. Yeah. That's just wrong. Right. They have to choose and want and I have to explain it to them. And so they understand what it is and get their informed consent. But when you force and coerce people into things, you're actually causing them harm. But someone else is saying, well, it's justified for that for a greater good. Right. But I think that needs to be demonstrated. Right. Like. And then a person still should make the decision on their own whether or not to do something or not based on the best available information that's available to them. But again, Jason, this is why these things are ethical dilemmas, because there isn't a right or wrong answer necessarily. People think they have a right or wrong answer, but they don't. Yeah. They're dilemmas. And sometimes in our life, in fact, all the time, we have to deal with dilemmas like this. And sometimes it's best to, to have the dilemma to maintain your freedom and your free will in your autonomy, in your right to privacy. Because once you give those up, as you stated, I mean, it is Orwellian. And I think the, the ends by restricting those things and not allowing people to pursue those things 
is far worse than the alternative of allowing people to have autonomous decision making, free will, privacy. Those things are fundamental. No. And having said all of that is a good setup for uh, what we're going to talk about next, because I want to get into this other thing here about AI in mental health, because you've got another book about that. We will take a quick break and be back with uh, with the other part of that conversation more with Dave Luxton when we come back right after this. Stand by. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with David Luxton, and uh, our 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 conversation has kind of uh, roamed far and wide. But I do want to I do want to talk a little bit about this one book that you've got uh, out. It's called um, Artificial Intelligence. Let me turn that down there. All right, Artificial Intelligence in Behavioral and Mental Health Care. And we've talked about, you know, the dangers of AI and, and the, the, the potential harm that can be caused by machine learning and that sort of thing. But on the, on the flip side of it, uh, this would seem to indicate that there's possibilities that AI and machine learning could be used maybe as a diagnostic tool to, to help in behavioral and mental health care. Well, how are you defining that? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so obviously behavioral health care covers everything from, from mental health conditions like you know depression, anxiety, uh, and then behavioral health, meaning addiction and some other issues, behavioral issues. So it's really the, the breadth of those things. And the, the book, I mean, it came out five years ago, so it's even now becoming obsolete, and it really deserves a second edition to, to be updated because so much has happened in the last five years, so much commercialization of the technologies that are discussed in the book. But uh, the book really covers a range of types of approaches of using uh, AI and associated technologies to provide mental health care, behavioral health care, intervention, self-care, those kinds of things, but also focuses on the ethics of these technologies. In fact, every chapter uh, has a section on ethics, and there's a a chapter that's devoted to ethics. Is – do you see a time – because we we always we always talk about this stuff in fiction about getting you know getting things out of control at, or 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 you know somebody designs a a system that becomes oppressive. I mean, you talk about Big Brother in 1984, for example. And MS uh, brings a good point. Technology is being used to condition people, uh, not just to make us apathetic, but you mentioned tribalism. You know that whole separating us into groups, us versus them, type of thing, and the the Marxist theories of the oppressed versus the oppressor, for example. A lot of that getting 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 out there and being discussed. Is that is there a danger of that being baked in to all of our machine learning at some point? Or or do we get do we get past the point of no return on this uh, somewhere down the road? Or can we do corrective measures to what the machines are learning from each other? Yeah, I think the question is, how, how do we how do we correct what the machines or how they're being used, right? right? And I think that what you're, really what you're getting is the issue of ideology and whether that's you know your, your political perspective, your religious perspective, your um, you know social political perspective, and that can drive the use of the technology. I mean, we're clearly we're seeing that today, right? We're right. seeing that with how things are censored, shadow banned on social media because of a p- particular political view, and so forth. 
We also know that the technology is used can, can cause harm, right? So if there's, um, you know, someone is threatening to harm someone on, on social media, then, I mean, that's a real issue, right? I mean, I think there should be some intervention there. But when free speech is being intervened on, where someone's expressing, and even more so, we had seen with this pandemic the issues of many physicians, epidemiologists, and and others come out. And uh, in fact, there's the great Bar- Barrington report. If right. you haven't seen this, you got to look at this. Okay, hundreds of physicians and others have come together. I mean, top top universities, talking like Harvard, Yale, etc., have come together to say, wait a minute, this whole approach that's been done with this pandemic is is basically wrong and probably unethical and immoral because of the harm that it's created, particularly for children, yeah. you know, with, with the, the mandates and at home, you know, it, it is really, and these folks will be impacted really for the rest of their lives. And, you know, two years of this stuff, how that impacts their development at this age. I mean, this is terrible, but you've got to read that report, the Great Barrington Report, because it, it really gets into this. And, um, but getting back to the point about it's the ideology. So what is the right ideology, right? And there's always going to be you know different perspective. It has been throughout history. Like just look at history. Yeah. Now I got to mention this to you, Jason. If you if you're not familiar with this or your listeners and viewers are not, you should really check it out. I am working on another nonfiction book right now. I'm about two thirds through, and it has to do with what's called the fourth turning. And my perspective is about psychological resilience during that fourth turning. So how can we kind of arm ourselves psychologically during times of great societal crisis? Okay. And so I think this is so needed right now. I wish I had published it a year ago, but I, I just, I now have the time to work on it. So I'm, I'm getting it done. The turning to have it out. The turning refers to a, a big paradigm shift in society, right? It's, it's, exactly. It's this upheaval yeah, it's, of everything everywhere. It, I, well, I'm, Great reset comes to mind as far as that kind of thing goes, because you know you're you're no longer going to own everything, anything, and you're going to be happy. And we're getting rid of money, and we're getting rid of borders, and and all of this stuff. And it does feel like it's one of those things. It's like a seismic shift that people are trying to deliberately trigger t- happening. And, and I occasionally will mention Cloward Priven. And their theories of overwhelming the system in order to break the system and create a new system that's run by the state. And it really feels like there's there's this push to go into stuff like that. And, and you know, we watched uh, V for Vendetta here not too long ago, and I, I, I talked about that last week. This idea of this, this cadre of people wanting to be in charge of everybody's lives. And... If if this fourth turning, like you're talking about, is is coming, do we as individuals have a responsibility to to push back on that and say that's going to do harm to us as a society? That's going to do harm to us mentally, emotionally, economically, or whatever whatever other pushback we can we can come up with. This is a bad idea. How do you, how do you push back against that, or are we too far gone now that the turning's coming, whether we want it or not. Yeah, just just to give your your viewers and listeners just a, a quick background, just really quick. So the, the the idea of the fourth turning comes from a book by um, Strauss and Howe. It was published in '97, and they had predicted then that looking at history because they're they're historians, you know, and they, they were looking at patterns of history. So every 80 years, there's a there's this um, seculum. So it's this it's a whole generation turn. There's four turns in that 80 years, and so every 20 years, there's a turn. And if you look at history going back from, um, you know, the American Revolution being one of the, the fourth turnings crisis, you know, the Civil War, mm-hmm. and then according to Strauss and Howe, really 2008, that, that economic crisis was kind of the start of this next phase of the fourth turning. And so predicting that we're in the middle of it now and that we probably haven't, maybe it's another t- up to 10 years or so here until the end of the turning. And so the idea is that we're going to be in this time of crisis, as you mentioned, of, of upheaval and and then something will come out of that in the end, as it always has in history. So really what you're asking, Jason, is like, what is going to come out of this? Like, are yeah. we going to be in a better place, a more just, fair, ethical, moral society? Or I've, are we going to be in a really that Orwellian nightmare being controlled by big tech oligarchs? Yeah, I think global. it depends on who wins the next couple of rounds of elections. Maybe, you yeah. know, maybe. 
I think that um, we as people need to, you know, it's, it's, it's the matrix, right? Yeah. Another sci-fi. You got to wake up. You got to, you know, the red pill, blue pill they talk about all the time, you know, like which pill are you going to take? You're going to stay asleep and live in some fantasy thing of reality. Or you're going to really pay, pay attention to what's going on. And again, I got to emphasize it again, not that I just want to promote this book, but please read this book, The Goldilocks Zone, because it's, it's it's set in the in the plot of about a UFO thing. Yeah. But, but it's the perfect thing because th that's a, another very relevant topic recently this past year. If, you, if you're not paying attention, you should look at the DOD report about UAPs that just came out this, this summer. But this book is about that issue. It's like, well are you going to just believe something because you see it on social media, et cetera, or are you going to kind of dig in? How do you know what's reality? Yeah. You know, and I think there's, there's a lot of people out there, Jason, you're probably one of them, you know, by doing, using the technology of social media and having the show and, and having these open discussions about these topics is incredibly healthy. Yeah. Well, you know, like, this is what we need. I, I look at this stuff and, and think, you know, on the one hand, uh, as as curmudgeonly as and cynical as I am, I'm I'm constantly complaining about technology. I'm constantly griping about my phone and all of the social media and everything. And yet, you know, the flip side of it, I see it as a necessary evil because it's a tool for getting our our creation, our work out in front of an audience. So it's a there's a balancing act there between how much do I want to use it? How much do I need to use it? How much do I want to run very far away from it? But the 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 power dynamics of it. MS makes a good a, a good point here about the technology turning us into an honor shame culture, but it's more power fear. And I've been making the point for a while now that all of this that's happening. Uh, if if you're looking at it, whether it's a turning or if it's just a paradigm shift politically or something, all of this is a power grab for a certain group of people who want to control everybody else. And it's not necessarily liberals versus conservatives, red versus blue, Democrat, Republican. It's this group versus all the all of the rest of us. And and I don't know how much in your research you've come across this kind of thing, but how how much of doing all of that homework, looking into all of this, how much of that goes into the fiction books that you're writing? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, science fiction, you can make up whatever. And while well, technology doesn't really do that, I mean, you look at Star Trek, for example, and the original series came out in the 60s. There was a lot of things on the on those shows that we couldn't do yet. And like you said, we're right in the middle of everything that's been predicted. Yep. So how do you extrapolate forward? And are you tempering that a little bit and, and maybe not quite as pessimistic as, as you might otherwise be, or how much are you limiting yourself in terms of the tone for the stories that you're setting up? And how much of it are you looking at the stuff that's actually really there? And you think, Oh crap we're about to go off a cliff. Well, let me tell you, Jason, I, I wrote behind the machine prior to the pandemic. Obviously it was published in, in March of 2020 when it came out. Yeah. Right. And so I, I didn't know what was coming necessarily, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, so many of the themes that are in it were just, that started just happening. You know, there, there's like, there's a me too movement thing in here where, where my protagonist, she's harassed by her, her CEO boss, you know, and it's disgusting. And, the issues of privacy and the technology being monitored, um, being suppressed. Um, there's there's roaming um, police robots that are in the streets in 2034 because they are they're not racially biased because they're machines. They're not supposed to be, and they right. go around and they have you know these non-lethal weapons. Well, guess what, Jason? Those things already exist. <laughs> these robots. Oh, I know. The military I developed developed them i saw a thing uh we actually reported on it here a few weeks ago boston dynamics you know the robot dog yeah there's a company i believe in las vegas that has an accessory package for the boston dynamics robot dog that includes a rifle militarized yeah. robot dogs and you know we've got several several places where those things are being used to uh, police social distancing, for example, you you y'all are too close together. You know, move this way, move that way, and 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 these robots 
are being used for that sort of thing. We're actually we're also seeing them in our amusement parks. I mean, Disneyland is using some of these things now for stunts at, let's say, Avengers Academy or whatever that new that new attraction is that they've got out at Disneyland. Where and and Elon Musk has plans for a robot android thing too. I'm thinking, have you guys not seen the Terminator? Have you not read all of these books that tell us this is a bad idea? It really, it really does feel like we're headed to our cliff. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I, I absolutely think so. Um, but I, again, I think everyday people, we need to be aware, awake of what, what is going on, what the, what, uh, how technology is being used and how you're being manipulated by it and to be active in this. So, you know, I'm not here to preach about calling your congressperson and getting active in politics because I, I, I want to I stay apolitical. Yeah. But yeah. I learned those things as a kid, as a Boy Scout. You know, like I, I wrote my, my congresspeople a couple times on a couple different topics. You know, it's like, well, I'm a citizen. I care about my society and I want to live in a place where people are treated with respect that people are are free and that we're safe and healthy. So I think whatever it was, was not a right thing or decision. So I wrote, you know, so I think we need to get active that way and let's not turn against each other, which is, as you said earlier, it's like, this is there's a lot of intentional stuff going on, isn't there? Yeah. Division. And you're seeing it's so obvious and it's becoming more obvious, I think, uh, to the public. I, I believe it is. Is that a, is really that a just, good thing, though, where people are people are starting to wake up to the idea that they're being manipulated and propagandized, too, and maybe they push back a little bit harder than they otherwise would? I think that's um, it would be a good thing if they would wake up more and push back against it. Right. Yeah. Is this the society we want to live in where we're constantly monitored and controlled and you don't have control over what goes in your body, you know, where you have to in order to eat, to have some chemical in your body, you know, stuff like that. It's just uh, that's a nightmare uh, in, my, in my opinion, no. but we, we should consider, though, you know, our, our responsibilities as members of society and, and we're part of communities, unless you really want to live out way out in the woods somewhere completely isolated. It's very <laughs> tough to do, especially now. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we have to think about how, what is the right thing for us as, as a whole, as humanity and as individuals. I believe there are pathways to do that. History has told us this. I mean, there, there are, you know, pathways of, of coming to, to just uh, societies and, and um, you know, don't throw out a baby with a bathwater is this great <laughs> saying, right? Why throw out the U.S. Constitution? Why, why, why attack this foundation of our great nation that really sets the justice in place yeah. and, the, and the ways of doing the process of government that really does look out for people? In a republic, yeah, there's alternatives, and there's probably ways it certainly could be better. You know, as I say, our democracy is an is an experiment, and I agree, it is an experiment. But I tell you, I'd I'd rather live in, in this nation than many other ones. As a very you know patriotic, as a veteran, as someone who continues to serve, I I um I think we need to not throw out a baby with the bathwater here. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and and we haven't even really gotten into some of the other stuff that I wanted to get into as far as like uh, Zuckerberg's new meta and the and the art the uh-huh. virtual reality garbage. So we'll we'll have to have you back here very soon. The website davidluxton.com is where you can find links to all of his books. Uh, you can also find Dave Luxton music over on Facebook, and uh, he's got a YouTube channel. And we'll put links to all of these here in the in the notes. Wayfarer Records, and uh, so uh, we do invite you to check out all of those things. Dave Luxton, thanks very much for being here, sir. We do appreciate it, and we'll definitely have to do this again. I think I think this could become a regular conversation at some point where we sit there going, "Did you hear the latest?" <laughs> I agree. Thank yep. you, Jason. Such a pleasure uh, to to talk with you, and um, thank you so much. All right, it's good seeing you again. Hang on for a second, and it's good to have everybody conversating in the chat. And if you have thoughts on this, you want to share with us, you can do that with a comment, or you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me dot com. And don't forget, coming up on Saturday, the latest uh, week's headlines in uh, in science fiction, fantasy, and horror on Good Morning Multiverse, so we hope to join us for that. 
And if you're new to the channel, if you're just finding us, we do invite you to subscribe both here and on Odyssey. And uh, have your notifications turned on. Feel free to move about the, the, the platform here and see our other videos. And um, we will do this all again tomorrow. Remember, they're watching you. And there are four lights. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 